Good afternoon with Dennis Fithian on Detroit Sports. Ready to get things underway. Podcast number 30. Coming up, we'll run down everything going on in the world of sports. There's a lot. Bubbles, no bubbles. Dr. Fauci weighing in. Pistons landed a new GM. But first, let's get to our guest, and that is uh, Thomas Gwines, the former Michigan O-line deputy sheriff for the Washtenaw County Sheriff's Office. He's on the other end of the line right now. Thomas, how are you? Hey, what's going on, big fella? Hey, you know, I was just, uh, it never occurred to me. Have you ever gone by Tom before? <laughs> I don't go by Tom. People call me Tom. And and sometimes um, I have to give them that level of direction because my mother hates when people call me Tom. She's like, that's not your name. That's not what I named you. I named you Thomas. I was like, okay, ma. Well, Thomas it is. Yeah, and you know, it's just it it just doesn't have the same ring. If I just said Tom Gwines, just doesn't sound right. right. Thomas sounds right. I mean, that's you. That is you. Exactly. Yeah. Well, good. We got that out of the way. You know, I've talked with you once since the the pandemic, and however long you want to say it's been going on, I I look at it as uh, going on for over three months now, and we've had lots of uh, fallout uh, with uh, on the job front. But this Monday, June 22nd, it'll have been one month since uh, George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis. And, you know, I I mentioned there at the start, and you work uh, in in law enforcement here. And when we last talked, we were talking about what, you know, the the pressures now with with the pandemic and the longer hours that you're working. Uh, Now, um, with, you know, we have sports trying to come back. We have protests and the focus on the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, it's a lot. Uh, what have these last three, four weeks been like for you? Oh, it's a, it's been um, interesting. Um, you, it's different for black LEOs, law enforcement officers, and the reason why I say it's different for us is because of the fact we've all been black longer than we've been on this job. So we all know the stories, either we've experienced it at some point in time in our pre-law enforcement life, we've had somebody that's close to us, um, you know, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, depending on what your, what region of the country you live in, uh, it definitely depends on the severity of, of police contacts. So we definitely understand it um, a little bit better just because, you know, that's kind of been our plight as a people, as, as the black race, if you will. But, you know, flipping the script and, and understanding we now wear the badge and we're out here doing the job, there's nothing more conflicting, I guess, at times. And it just kind of depends on whatever your life experiences and you know most of the people that i spoke with black white male female um we all feel like it yeah that was definitely um bad police work it was definitely a a tragedy um a tragic set of circumstances yet i try to move in reason and not emotion and i think a lot of people right now based off of everything that I just said prior because of the track record, the history 
thereof when it comes to black people, the issue of race with law enforcement. Everyone's a lot quicker to just jump off into the deep end. And all that being said, I'm not saying that um, Mr. Floyd's loss of life was justified in any way. I think that the race component oftentimes gets thrown in the mix by the powers that be, which is incredibly even more divisive. And it, it muddies the waters even more. Because I'll tell people to this day, can I think his name is Chauvin or something like that. Yes. The officer with the knee on the neck. And I'm like, I can't call that I can't call that man racist. He can be an asshole. He can be evil. He can be everything under the sun based off of what I saw. But you know, you have to show me some level of evidence, proof, documentation that he was, you know, the grand poobah of the Ku Klux Klan to say that he's racist and the term racist just gets thrown around way too much. We, you can be evil just because you're an evil person. Race does not necessarily have to come into it. But at the same time, by me saying that I'm not disqualifying the fact that race does come into play sometimes within the general public or the, you know, black law enforcement um, interactions. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm not going to sit here and be, you know, that guy with blinders on. But just speaking on that particular matter for Minnesota, it's bad policing. Um, I kind of feel that there was some maliciousness to it because when that, that camera pans back up to his face and just that look that he had on his face, that's what really um, hit me to to another place, if you will, was just a look of almost satisfaction with what he was doing. Yeah, I'm and with again, that doesn't make his race. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that part. Like that 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 video, watching it and having his uh, his hand in in his pocket and almost looking like it was nonchalant is something that will stay with probably everybody for sure for me for the rest of my life. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't think about it. You know, like I, I would have said, you know, do I think that guy's a racist? Uh, if you would have asked me when we started this, I'd have said, yeah, yeah, I do think that. But you know what? I'm, I'm asking myself why. Well, he, he had his knee and, and killed George Floyd, and we saw it for, you know, nearly nine minutes. And and also now I, I don't have his uh, his resume in, in front of me, but some of the – whether it was the you know the cable news network or, or news or anything that I've read, they uh, there were some uh, some stories about him having a, you know a, a track record of uh, I don't want to say police brutality of, of situations that um, that, uh, that I don't a know track record said, of heavy heavy handedness is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, and, and you know like and like I said before, but but you know. These are the things that we have to start looking at. Let's let's look at let's look at facts. Let's look at apples to apples, okay? So if you live in a city and in each city you have different pockets. I don't know of any real major metropolitan city. Um, segregation is not legal. Segregation still takes place. 
people naturally naturally segregate, Dennis. When I played football, and we would go into the uh, for training table. If you looked around at these tables, people naturally sat with those either that most looked like them or they had a, a, a level of commonality. So as an offensive line, you would see us sitting together just because, and it would be mixed. It would be black guys, white guys, but we sat together because we were the O-line. We didn't sit with wide receivers. Our mentalities are completely different. Our goal sets are completely different. You know? So, there was a level of segregation there. Or you could look and say, well, all these dudes are sitting at the same table. Well, when you start talking to them, they may have all either been from the same state or kind of came up the same sort of way. Whatever the case may have been, there's a sense of commonality there. And so, being from Chicago, when you go inside the city of Chicago, you have predominantly black blocks. You have predominantly white blocks. And if you are a white officer that is tasked with patrolling a predominantly black precinct, beat area, whatever you want to call it, there's a high propensity for you to have contact, possibly in a negative fashion, with someone that is the opposite race of you. Yeah, if that makes sense, it, it does. I mean, there's there's a lot of things there. You know, a lot of it has to do with uh, how much money you make. Uh, you know, that's a factor, and that can be a factor uh, on where you live. But I'm just listening to you talk about, you know, who you who you hang out with in in different situations, and uh, I hear you on that. You know, we're you know as humans, we we're, we're provincial, but we also you know we do like to hang out with people that we know, like in, in, in a football team, it's just interesting. Like you might hang out with the offensive lineman, but, and then it might be like, Hey, you know, offense versus defense. And then it might be like, if you were, if you were out at, at, at night or something and you know, you sure you might be hanging out with some other friends that were not football players, but yeah, you would gravitate. Hey, you're going to go hang out with the football team. And then uh, when, when you're outside of, of the university, it's like, hey, Michigan against Michigan State, Michigan, you know, Illinois. So right. then you're, you know, you're, you're, you're circling the wagons that way. And 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 I know just by, you know, uh, being around football players, you know, all my life and in, in, in college, guys, like you guys, whatever whatever year you were that you came in, whether it was, uh, you know, you know, yep. ninety three or ninety two, you guys are, you know, you guys are all a subset of like. You know, that, those are your guys, that your class, right? Subset. Right, subsets and subsets. Exactly, and and that to me is what ends up taking place. So you got to look at the numbers or the probability if you take me as, as a black male and put me in, I don't know, gross point or I'm not super familiar with the um, affluence uh, suburbs of Detroit, but if you put me in that area and I'm and I work it, and I'm being good police and I'm doing proactive policing, there's a higher probability that I'm going to have at some point in time a negative interaction with um, a white person. And it just it is what it is. It's 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 literally the barrel that you're fishing in, and that barrel is only going to have you know. Well, 
one or two species of fishing. It's not like you're fishing in the ocean. You're literally fishing in a barrel. So, as I said before, oftentimes by the powers that be for whatever divisive reason, the race component gets thrown into things and then that further alienates us as people, as human beings, homo sapiens, from finding a way to find some middle ground. And once we continue to be as divisive, emotional, um, justifiably upset and enraged on, you know, on these topics, the harder it is for us to come together as people to have some level of solidarity that we can collectively start to change this, this, uh, this plight, if you will, because of the fact that the more we're separated and just kind of wallowing in our own filth, if you will, the harder it is for us to pull ourselves up out of that to find what it is that we really want. Because when you go back and look at it, then it's, what does every what does every person want? You want peace and happiness, a nice community to live in. Yeah, and that's it. But you know, and whatever your level of peace and happiness is, but you want security. You want, and and security to me is is the word that best fits this umbrella. Security of, of good housing, the security of good schools for your kids. I'm able to put food on the table. I have overall physical security because. I'm in a low crime state. But the more we're at each other's throats, how does that ever come to fruition? Because I firmly believe that some way, somehow, somebody profits off of human misery. Yeah, well, over the last couple of weeks, whatever you're watching or reading, it, there's a lot of it. It, it goes quickly. Uh, downhill, like defund all police, and are people talking about all police? Like if this was, uh, a, a like a this was one situation, let's deal with the one situation. I know we've had a number of these type of situations. Just we had another one last week uh, in Atlanta, but that's not all police. Just like it's not all white, it's not all blacks, and that, you know that's one of the things that's frustrating. Do I wanted to ask you if you felt like because. You know, a couple of years ago, it was Ferguson, Missouri. There was um, a, a lot of talk, outcry, like, let's get police cameras. Like, that was a thing that everybody seemed to say, like, be in agreement on. Uh, do you always feel like uh, your every move is being watched or judged, even before, like, there are cameras when you started on the on the force? Did you, you I mean, you always feel like that? You feel like it more now? It, it, it seems like you would feel about it more or feel like you're being watched and, and judged more, but it's always been that way, hasn't it? I think, you know, there's a high level of scrutiny. Um, cameras, like I said, I, I'm not, I'm for them because obviously if you're out there doing the right thing or at least moving in the right vein, and see, this is what people don't really understand about police work. It's gray. None of this is black and white. That's right. None of it. It's super gray. Well, Thomas, why is it why is it gray as you put it? Because we have this factor that nobody knows how it really factors out in a level of consistency, and that factor is the human factor. I don't know. I can deal with the same person, but each day I may get a different person depending on what their level of trauma, stress, or stimuli is at that particular point. 
So to answer your question, is scrutiny higher now? I guess scrutiny is higher for everyone because of the fact of, you know, the advent of, of cell phone cameras. Um, you got a lot more closed circuit um, TV cameras. People have, you know, ring doorbells. There's surveillance everywhere. You know, we, we self-surveil, uh, if you will, just within your home. You know, everybody's got cameras around their house. And, you know, that can, that's a great thing. That can be a great tool and, and, and solving some things. Um, so, like I said, I don't necessarily feel more scrutinized. I just think that that has been the flow of our culture and society over the last decade with the advent of technological advances. Um, everything that we do now is, is there's a paper trail, be it on video, electronic signature, whatever you want to call it. There's a paper trail. So with that, because it's been around so long, I think that we've all just been so indoctrinated to it that it's kind of like, you always go out under the office of somebody's recording something. Somebody somewhere is watching. And it's a little bit, it's, it's more difficult for me not to stand out. Just based off my size alone and mixed, with, mixed in the fact that I work in a predominantly white agency. So if somebody was to say, yeah, he was you know, five foot eight white guy, short haircut, <laughs> uh, average build. Okay, you got to narrow it down a little bit more. Comparatively to, yeah, it was the big black guy with the salt and pepper beard. Why? <laughs> so I mean, but literally, that's that's the that's the landscape that I play on. That's the, that's the you know the, the field that I've been tasked to work in. Yeah, I it's it's amazing. You know, I just I think about so many different things. Just like last week in Atlanta, what we do now, and we've done this before. We all do it when we see you see a situation, it, it makes the news. Then we're like Monday morning quarterbacking an event that is happening. You know, in in real time, and uh, you know you have to deal with uh you know the criminal aspect, and then you have to dribble deal with your your protocol and then you know like this last one it was like well you know all the police officers know that you know that once you have um you know the gun or the, the stun gun or whatever it's called that and, and it, it disperses that you know that it you know it it, it 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 can't shoot again so you know there's no reason to you know to to fire your arm especially into somebody's back which seems like you know that's that's you know that's monday morning quarterback that seems like it but i'll give you my take all right, and this is and this is the issue yet again with our culture, our, our society, and we move in emotion and not reason. Um, I've had this conversation with countless people, countless other law enforcement professionals, both black and white. In my opinion, at least here in the state of in the state of Michigan, we have what's called a force continuum. That force continuum is basically a guide that states. When you're having an interaction with a citizen, if they do this, you can do this. And the more they, they ratchet it up, we have what's called a one plus one. If you give me this level of resistance, 
I get to do one level higher. So when the decedent from the Atlanta situation wrestles with the guy, with the officer, was able to disarm that officer of his taser, takes off running, then while running was able to, and I don't know what kind of tasers they have because the, uh, the tasers that we currently now have, I can actually shoot twice. Ooh. I have two cartridges where the old tasers we started off with, I think they're called like the X-26. Don't quote me on that. But you would shoot a cartridge and then you had a spare cartridge in the, in the butt of the gun, of the stun gun, that you would have to take out and then basically almost like chambering another round, so to speak. On the ones that we carry now, um, if I shoot one, then I still have another cartridge right there where I can shoot again. So I don't know what they were working with down in Atlanta, but I just throw it out there that there could be that caveat to it when people talk about, well, it only fires one. Um, the other aspect of it, too, is is that if you're not familiar with the nomenclature of a taser, is that when the taser is discharged, there's an audible pop to it. You're running. We just got in the fight. You and I are chasing the bad guy. You are running after him. I'm running, you know, offset or tangent to you. And then I see bad guy turn and take a firing position. And then you hear this audible pop. There's a phenomenon that's called sympathetic fire. That means in a heightened situation, a level of fear, um, I guess I would probably just call it fear. I don't necessarily want to say anger at, at that particular point in time. Kind of fight but or flight of uh, the address. Like yeah. yeah, it's kind of sort of the fight or flight deal. But if I run up, and see you in a panic state, and then all of a sudden you start shooting, there's a high propensity that I'm probably going to do the same thing based off the level of trust in which I have in you. Well, if Dennis is shooting, I damn sure well better be shooting too because, you know, I'm out here too. There's a, there's, you know, a pro- high probability that some way, somehow, I just walked in to a level of danger that I didn't know about. And so... You kind of take that mindset. You see the guy turn, take a firing stance while he's running. You hear the audible pop, and then you know you shoot because you think your you think your partner's in danger. And so now let's go back a few days prior to that particular incident, where the prosecutors or whoever the power that be were saying when the officers down in Atlanta had gotten those uh, two college kids out the car. And I think a taser was deployed in that um, incident. And they said, not the police, but the prosecutors and whoever said that the taser was, was a deadly weapon. That's right. I saw that. And so now in this situation, they're saying that the taser wasn't a deadly weapon, that the taser did not meet the criteria to, or to elevate itself, if you will, to justify deadly force being used by the officers. 
So yeah. which one is it, Dennis? Well, it seems like uh, to me, just again, sitting back here, uh, when the uh, – I don't know what the person's name was down in Atlanta, but he got shot in the back. I mean, that's the thing that I think is alarming to the citizens just sitting back and watching it saying, hey, you, uh, only if you're in imminent danger, how can you be in imminent danger if you know somebody's running away? Now, you could make a case like you could be running and, and turn back – you know, and, and shoot Which while you... what he did. Okay, see, now Which I... Which is what he did. That's on yeah. video. Oh, I didn't see the video. See, well, I saw the video. Yeah. That's exactly what he did. So, I turn, I shoot, and now I go back to continue running. So, by that time, you know, what people fail to understand is... Let me ask you this. When's the last time you've seen a pretty fight? Um... They're not pretty. They're they're, they're dirty. There's I don't know. No Uf, UFC, maybe I don't know. Like in, but you know, like I said, but there's not there's nothing pretty about a fight. There's nothing where you can wrap a fight up or use a force up in a bow and you know have this sense of comfort that every that all parties are going to be okay. Um. And these are the things that I try to get across to the non-initiated, those that have never walked in these shoes before, is that our job, again, going back to the greatness of it, our job requires us to go from zero to one or zero to a million in a nanosecond. And then right back down to one or zero. So we go back to the shooting in South Carolina where you had the young white male go into the church while they're having Bible study and shoot everybody up. You get that call and you respond out there to that. And as you get on scene, subject fitting the description has already come out of the church, is no longer armed, is on his knees with his hands up. What do you do? I don't know. Tell him the... You take him into custody like you would anyone else. Yes. That's the right thing to do. Now, the emotional side. Now, as a black man, if I was to roll up on that scene, everything in my being is like, let him have it. Right. But but that's not the right way. That's not how our laws are set up. I'm not an executioner. Well, he just executed all of those innocent people in there. But as I said before, as everyone talks about now, what threat did he pose? He's unarmed and he's on his knees with his hands up. What threat did he pose? None. Now, on the flip side of things, I think this is where a lot of people had a, a lot of anger is because, and yes, I will 100% agree based off a lot of the videos in which I've seen that there is a disparity within the levels of forces that are used with white law enforcement in comparison to white suspects and or their black suspect counterparts. I've seen videos where you got the mental white guy coming out swinging swords and axes talking about he's going to kill the police. There was the most recent video. I forgot what state it was, but it was a male deputy and a female deputy fighting with um, 
a middle-aged, older white male. Law enforcement lost the fight. Suspect was able to actually get the, the, the ass or the retractable baton for one of the deputies to start striking them with it. Mm. At which point in time, he gets in their car, steals, steals their car, and drives away. Now, if I hit you in the head with an ass, that's considered deadly force. Why did neither one of those officers pull their weapon? Yeah, I can't answer that. So when, so when you go, when you see these sorts of things happen time and time again, then in comparison to what you may have as basically resistance, maybe active aggression, but then these individuals end up dead. So is there a race component to that? I won't say fully, but I would say yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when... The more... Go ahead. I was going to finish up your point there. I wanted to ask you about, you know, some of these reforms that are being talked about, but if you had a, a final thought there on that. No, I'm just saying that, you know, the things in which we are seeing are historical. There is empirical data that support the level of disparity in conjunction with the crimes that have been committed where there has been, they, you know, the white counterparts have been taken into custody and the black counterparts, counterparts somehow end up dead. And I don't know how you justify that. And so the more you continue to see that, and you got to understand, too, the cultural and psychological trauma behind that, even though it may not have happened to you, but you got black parents out here concerned for their black sons. And, you know, when they have contact with police, when you have to sit back and have the talk, and literally the talk for most people is, you know, the sex talk. But now that's kind of been superseded by your 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 contact with law enforcement. So, um, moving to your point about the changes as far as the different um, policies and things of that nature that they want to move forward with, a lot of people need to understand what it what it means to be law enforcement in America, and agencies obviously differ from place to place. And the major difference from from what I can see based on my, my almost 15 years in this profession is money. The more money that you're able to pay officers, the easier it is for you to find more qualified applicants. I say qualified in air quotes. And the reason why I say that too is, is that you can ask all the questions and knowing what you're getting yourself into, you are able to regurgitate these cookie cutter answers. We don't have a vetting system set up to this point that's able to tell you the heart of a man. Who you who you really are as a person. You know, people talk about background check, blah blah blah. How many people you know are able to put on a facade per the environment in which they're in. And once they're out of that environment, they go back to themselves. 
And you being out of that environment in law enforcement is basically you being let out onto the streets where you're no longer under the watchful eyes of your cadre while you're in the academy or your PTO when you first get on. So you got three, five years in now, you police. You're out there on your own, making your own decisions. And at some point in time, the true you is going to come out. And like I said, there's no, to my knowledge, no known vetting process that's really going to tell me who you are when nobody's watching. Kind of like in the sports analogy, you don't know until the lights come on and it's game day, right? And how you're actually going to perform. Exactly. I mean, what is character? Character is what you do when nobody's watching. Right. You know, people are talking about the demilitarization of police departments, which I'm 100% on board with if you can 100% guarantee me that the bad guys aren't going to have a case. We can all go back to the Hollywood bank robbery back in, I don't know, what was that, like 98 or something like that, where the guys went in, robbed the bank, they had AR-15s, and all of the responding officers only had shotguns, Remington 870s, and these guys were body armored up. And so you only people at that time that had that level of weaponry we're SWAT guys. But only thing the rank and file who's going to be Johnny on the spot all the time, all they had was, was their service weapon. And I'm thinking that was probably just nine millimeter and a shotgun. So if you can guarantee me that bad guys are never going to get any quote unquote military style weapons, then I'm fine. Demilitarize the police. But you have to 100% guarantee me that at no point in time, if I'm having an interaction with a bad guy going into a scene, that they're ever going to be able to outgun me. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the, the, the reforms that have been talked about over the last couple of weeks, I, I don't know if you think some of it sounds doable. We're talking about that a little bit right now. I, just, I know that, uh, you know, just watching some of the stuff where uh, there are some suggestions that, you know, it needs to get back to where, you know, it was years ago where the police were walking the neighborhood and they lived in their neighborhood. But, you know, m- my dad was a Detroit police officer. We had to live in the city limits. And then I don't remember at what point, sometime in the 80s, they lifted that or they lifted that right. requirement because they wanted to open it up to, you know, the the idea was, well, let's try to open up the pool of candidates and get, you know, more, whether it's, you know, better qualified or more qualified or just more people that, you know, and, right. and working in Detroit's a tough, that's a tough beat, you know, going in there. Not everybody wants, if you're going to say, to use your point, go work in, uh, you know, Gross Point or say, hey, do you want to go work in Detroit? You know, uh, you know, that's tough. That's a, that's a, that's a tough beat to work. And you know, like I said, it goes back to, and I take nothing away from, you know, Gross Point law enforcement officers that does the job. But at the end of the day, if I have the ability to do the same job that you do, but make more money and, and hopefully have less stress or maybe a different kind of stress, then I'm probably going to go where the most money's at. Because especially if you're looking at the well-being of your family, 
as far as being a provider. So all of that being said, people are swinging too far left and too far right. There's too many um, absolutes in this. And we, like I said before, we just need to find a way to find some level of common ground, some commonality. And the more we continue, as I, you know, touched on before, are being fed these divisive situations. And I'm not saying that they don't necessarily hold some weight, but at the same point in time, too, that's not the only issue in what you're dealing with. These are not the only caveats between all of these different situations. And but the common thread is historically, and at least at this particular point in time now, who are the ones that are dying? It's people that look like me, not necessarily people that look like you. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, these these some of these proposals, I don't remember exactly what it's called, eight proposals or something like the no chokeholds, the no knock warrants, the no shooting into a moving car. And like, you know, some of that, like you'd say, you know, the, the Louisville case where they, was it Brianna Taylor? I think her, her name was right. uh, her, her boyfriend. Uh, there was a warrant out for him. And I don't know if it was her apartment or, or his, but you know, they just busted in. He did, he did have a gun. He said that, you know, he shot because he thought intruders were, and they were, I mean, they're police. They don't say, you know, police, they just, you know, bust open the door. But, and then, but I, then it's, it's another thing. Yeah. That's everybody that I've talked to. And I'm talking, you know, guys that have just as much time on the job that I do, you know, SWAT guys. I've been on different search warrants with different teams, fed teams, our SWAT team. If you do a no-knock warrant, you're going to go with more than three or four dudes. You're probably going to definitely have somebody there dressed in some sort of badging showing that you are law enforcement. For that point, for whatever reason, when you think about it on a no-knock warrant, let's think about it. Why would you do a no-knock warrant? Element of surprise. But again, for what? Somebody like no, not right. Somebody better be really. Uh, it's better be a real dangerous suspect that is of like the the highest of importance to try to get off the street, right? Exactly, or the preservation of evidence. I.e., you're cooking up all sorts of heroin in this house. And I don't want you flushing. So, to your point, the element of surprise, or the fact that this dude is you know, public enemy number one. Not just because you got a child support warrant or you didn't go to traffic court. Right. So, and, and this one was, I, I, like, I don't know all the details there, but it didn't seem like there were a lot of officers and it, it didn't seem like there, it was you, like, had three, you had three to four guys in plain clothes. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, when I look at the nomenclature of the warrant and how it was executed, it makes me think that there was something else afoot. I'm not going to speculate as to say that this this was done under malicious intent or, you know, nefarious sort of um, affairs, but how they did it was not tactically sound. 
doesn't make sense to put yourselves in that sort of danger, not knowing what's on the other side of that door. And because the boyfriend, you don't need a CPL license. You don't need a permit to have a gun in your own home, as long as it's legally purchased. I don't need none of that. My own home or my own business, I can have a firearm on my person. So everything that transpired from that was, in my opinion, just piss poor policing that was tragic. And, you know, innocent loss of life. Now, even if that dude was, you know, some sort of dope kingpin, you still coming in that house woefully undermanned with no badges stating that that you are the police. What do you expect anybody else to do? Yeah, you, you, I would expect some re, some retaliation there. Dennis, if, I want, if you didn't know me and I kicked in your door <laughs> and I had a gun and you had the availability to get to your firearm for the protection of you, your family, and your property, what else are you going to do? Yeah. No, that's... As, that's an, the, innocent, as, as an innocent guy, not a guy... Hey, you're Dennis the radio guy. You're not out here uh, selling, you know, metric tons of, of cocaine and, you know, out here killing people and all, all other sorts of types of things. You're Dennis the radio guy. And now all of a sudden you got three to four guys kicking your door talking about the police, but they nobody has a uniform on. You, you see nothing but strangers with guns. Well, we announced ourselves. That's why me calling myself the Pope, and I ain't Catholic. It was a piss poor, tactically executed search warrant. Actually, it was you know it was kind of just a gaggle that ended up in the loss of an innocent life. And those are the reasons why you have such rage within the black community. It's justifiable. Now, as I say that, I don't condone, you know, looting and rioting and stuff. My my thing is you find a way to focus and channel that. And trying to find a way to bring about some level of systematic change. That's not going to be a pet project for, you know, some some well doer, some for a couple of weeks or months or whatever, but something that's actually put into policy that has made its way up to the highest levels of policy makers that now once it gets down on the street level, this is an ironclad understanding of this is how business is going to be done from here on out. These are the repercussions if you step outside of those lines while conducting business. But until we're actually able to do that, I've been saying 10 years. I think it's probably going to be less than 10 years we'll have another episode like this. Yeah, unfortunately. Right, if there isn't some real systematic change. Now, the other caveat behind this too, and, you know, 
you talk about the law enforcement side of things, law enforcement, like most anything else where you have a large contingent of type A alpha male personality is a culture. It's just like playing football. When I got to Michigan, I had Steve Everett, Joe Cacuzzo, Doug Skeen, Rob Doherty were our starters. Or the old guys. And Trezell Jenkins was there, but, you know, Tree was only a year older than me. But those other guys that have been there had won several Big Ten championships. These guys set the culture as far as teaching us how how to play offensive line at Michigan, what it meant to be an offensive lineman at Michigan from the standpoint of summer conditioning. We, whatever it was that we did, O-lines up first. Whatever it was, O-lines up first. O-line leads the way. Follow us. We'll get you to the end zone. We'll, we're, we are the guys that paved the way for the rest of the team to follow. That was our ethos while I was playing at Michigan. When you switch gears and you get into law enforcement, depending on the agency that you come in and you got those guys 5, 10, 15, 20 years on, they set the culture of that station. And most young guys just want to fit in. So now, if you have a good positive culture that's been set, Hey, this is this is how we do things. We're going to go out here. We're going to do some aggressive policing as far as proactive policing, but everybody's going to get their due respect. And we're not going to go out here and be bullies, but we are going to go out here and do some good work and get some criminals, get some dope, get some guns off the street. Huh. Now, if you're able to do that, great. But within that, sometimes you're going to just have those buttholes that are just like. I'm happy to be out here just because I'm with my boys and now I feel like I feel the need to go beat somebody up to pound on my chest and to claim I'm an alpha male. You do have that set of cultures and agencies as a whole, or you have those pockets within agencies. And as I said before, when people naturally segregate, people like that will find other people like them and then while they're with each other, unfortunately to say, then that's when the public's at risk. Because they feed off of each other's negativity. There's a, there's a phenomenon. I'll, yeah, I'll call it a phenomenon called contempt of cop. And I liken it to, if you are a parent, and your child gives you a level of sad and or back talk when you have given your, your child a directive. There is a natural inclination to have some level of response as far as a level of negative reinforcement with that child due to the fact that there was a blatant show of disrespect to you, the parent. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. So that's the same thing that happens out on the street. And people hate it when I, when I say it like this, but to me it, it rings true. When you're having an interaction with law enforcement, especially if it is a justifiable interaction, i.e. you're doing 
the 55 and the 35. What you pull me over for? And when you start that conversation off like that, because we are human too. We wear the Superman cape, but none of us are super. We're humans. We're just human beings doing a very difficult job. When you start that interaction off like that, there is a higher probability that the officer that you're dealing with is going to come back at you with a level of negativity and venom of their own. Yeah, that's natural. Yep. and, And all that happens from there, it spirals out of control. Or I'm not saying it does, it can. Right, right. So when I tell people, like, dude, I'm daddy right now. Just I come up here. I'm not, you know, MSing you or anything else. I'm not being disrespectful to you. Just give me what I asked for. Let me do what I got to do. We'll get you on your way. The longer you stay on station within a, a police contact, the more dangerous it is for everybody. I'm getting nervous as a law enforcement officer, nervous and or pissed off, depending on how this exchange is going. Is going. You may be feeling the same way. There's always going to be at least one gun put in that, in that interaction. Because I'm bringing the gun. I don't know what you're bringing. And because I don't know what you're bringing, ratchets my level of anxiety. And then, you know, it's, it's a cocktail for disaster and tragedy. Either way. Well, you guys need to be more respectful to us. Okay, I'll give you that. If I give respect, I'm definitely expecting it back in return. Because yet again, let's go back to why are we? Why am I having this conversation with you? What were your actions that alerted me to you? If you're doing thirty-three and a thirty-five, seatbelts on, your music's not blaring, your driver passenger side windows aren't tinted out, your tags are good on your car, everything's good to go. And for some odd reason, you still have some sort of, you know, law enforcement contact. Yeah, I can understand your angst behind that. But again, the street is not the place to debate whether or not this was a justifiable stop. If you have issue with that, take it to the station, take it to the courts, hell, take it to the news. Mm. But trying to fight it out there on the street typically doesn't bode well for anyone. No, no, uh, that is some good advice. Thomas, I wanted to ask you how you feel outside the job. I just go to this uh, this moment of, in, in history here where um, uh, we, we have a movement now with protests, Black Lives Matter movement, and uh, it seems like a pivotal moment here in history. Uh, a lot of people... Is it- I don't know. Is there's a lot. There's a lot of people that want change. Uh, you, do you? You do you not feel like uh, this is pivotal or, or can be? Dennis, yeah. Who was the greatest civil rights leader, or the most notable civil civil rights leader in America, in our in our lifetime, King. or a little bit before? Martin Luther King. What has, what has changed? 
little, little has changed. Some has changed. Okay. Key word is little. When, where was, where was Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter three months prior? I'm from Chicago. One of probably the top three murder rates in the country. I didn't see any or hear about any protests taking place there. I didn't see anybody being bust, bust in from different states talking about Black Lives Matter. I'm not saying that this particular movement does not have merit. What I do have issue with is the timing of when they want to make their presence known. The I almost feel like a lot of it is another tool for the overall divisiveness from us as a people, as as, as human beings. Um, I'm all for social just, justice. Yes, I do think there needs to be a lot of levels of of reform, from you know social justices to the disproportionate prison. Uh, sentencing that seemingly same crime, only difference is one person has a better tan than the other. These things need a level of reform. But I think the biggest thing that we need to start having is economic reform. And a lot of the social ills and woes that take place in the black community is based off of systematic racism because of you can go get a loan for the same house and our credit scores can be the same. You will have a higher probability of getting a loan for the house than I would for whatever reason. And a lot of these things have been documented, you know, you go to a black neighborhood and say that this house is only worth X amount of money, but you take that same house and move it two blocks east or west, and that house may be worth two to three times the amount you're appraised of that here. So when you continue to devalue the economic state of a people and make it harder for them, and I'm a huge pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm a huge stop sucking off the tit of the state. Get out there, find a way to get whatever your skill set is and make that profitable. But when you're taking skill training programs out of schools, you could go to school and learn carpentry, welding, auto body, whatever, whatever you know, those skill trades are. And once you get out and, you know, get on with whomever and join a union and have your apprenticeship, by the time you're 23, 4, 5, you're making a pretty good living. Where you have these same kids that get out of college with a bachelor's degree and you're like $100,000 in debt from school loans. How do you ever make it out? I was fortunate. I was on a full ride. How many bachelor or degree holding individuals out here are out here right now who are unemployed? A lot. 
And so when you look at the disparity of generational wealth, where I was in school, I learned how to be a welder. Worked on the shipyards, victory, whatever the case was. Started off making a good living. And when I had a family, I was able to support my family, get my kids through school. Then my kids went off and did X, Y, and Z. And then their kids went off and did X, Y, and Z. And by the time you know it, from the, the family aspect of things, the family is doing well. Not the individuals, but the family. And once, once we can get back to the families starting to do well, then you start having this economic shift and growth. And hopefully, you start to see a drop in crime. You start to see a drop in drug abuse. You start to see a drop in, in mental health issues because we're able to get the help that we need. Well, those kind of points that you're making with the economic reform and, and, and giving people a better shot, that's a conversation that, you know, has been had. But I think, like, when I say it's pivotal in this moment of history, we have this, uh, whatever you want, confluence of all of this, the pandemic, uh, uh, a depression, like back in the in the 30s, and, and now we have... With uh, with George Floyd, we do have a, a Black Lives Matter movement that more people like three months ago. Yeah, that you know, you you talk about it. It seems like all of this that that people's that people do have more of an attention and 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 they are thinking about okay, what can we do and how do we go about it? Uh, and and those are the those are the kind of questions. And I think coming up, if the NBA does have their their playoffs and, you know, they have stated the goals, the players and the NBA, have, they've stated it too, that yes, uh, this, this, um, we want to hear what you're saying. This, these platforms, uh, this can continue. I think this is just something that, uh, this can so be. Let's, let's go back and let's talk about sincerity. Yeah. So when you look at the dollar that, as for a lot of the reasons that I touched on before, when you look at the amount of time that a dollar is earned in the black community and is spent in the black in the black community, it's a very, very short shelf life that dollar spent in the black community. With that being said, the black community are is high consumers, very low on the production scale, but we're super high on the consumer scale. So as a person who isn't black, but I am the head of these, you know, multi-billion dollar conglomerates and, and businesses and things of that nature, what am I going to do? This is why we have marketing teams. We need to do anything that we can do to show that we are siding with a, a very... Um, dominant part of our market share, if you will. Because at any point in time, if it's looked upon that we aren't, you know, standing with our brothers and sisters and, and, and you know, we too are moving forward for social change, they're going to stop spending money with us. When I look at Nancy Pelosi with a tente cloth one taking a knee, I'm like, that was the most asinine, idiotic thing I've seen in a really long time. The level of 
what I perceive to be white guilt is at an all-time high. And the reason why I think it's disingenuous and sometimes disrespectful is because of the fact that you can come out here and say that you marched and you rallied and you did all of these things in support of the movement, but where do you retreat to? You retreat probably back to an environment where probably everybody looks like you, where you're still able to garner the, the, all of the, 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 the perks, if you will, of your whiteness. So forgive me for my level of cynicalism, cynicalness, but I need to see the sincerity because it's great you're coming out now, but where were you at before? This stuff this just didn't start. This is not a new phenomenon. It's just a new catalyst that sparked this decade, quote-unquote, revolution, if you will. And like I said before, give it another five, ten years, and we'll be right back where we're at. Well, sometimes it feels like just give it another five, ten days. And, uh, like, I have seen some of that online already with some of the blowback where some of the, whether you think the changes are, you know, something like, uh, you know, pulling statues down or, or changing a, a pancake syrup, you already see, like, well, what's next? We're a little tired of, you know, let's, uh, the, can't we just move on kind of. I, I've seen some of that already where, there was some attention and now it's kind of like, let's, let's turn the page and, you know, get the back where things uh, used because, to be. Because things are loud. People want quiet. Things are very loud. Right now. Yes, they do. And we're going to see the level so, of sincerity. We're going to see people's levels of sincerity. If, if we, you know, we're getting into July 4th and, there's a lot more of, uh, well, let's stop talking about, um, you know, colleges and whether or not, you know, th- there was a slave owner, there's name on the building, you know, that has nothing to do with me. Let's Because there is a little bit of that. W- w- let's see right. where people are going to be here. And it, it is easy. I, I hear you the days and a week or two. Uh, what, what happens when we get into July? Is there still going to be that sincerity? Is there still going to be that that look to say, "Hey, are we having this conversation? Are are, are we doing something about it? Or is this just was this just right. a you know summer of twenty twenty kind of thing? Or I guess it's spring. It's not even summer until uh, Monday or Sunday. It's yeah. It's the satiation of emotion is what I call it. How do I satiate myself to look in the mirror and for me to say I'm a good person? Well, I'm a good person because I went out here and I did this. Like I said, these are the things in which caused me to have pause about a lot of this because of where's the real punch other than the noise? You're making a lot of noise, but what are you really saying? What are you really saying in the standpoint of having a level of constructive uh, implementing implementation of these different policies? You can't swing so far left or so far right that we get any work done. We have to come together as people, rational people, and figure out what's going to be good for everyone. And I don't think that's ever going to be the case right now because it's an election year crazy, right? your politicians and your leaders are acquiescing to the mob. 
you make in judicial charges super quick, criminal charges, I should say, um, based off the fact that these things have bad optics. The timing sucks. But was it criminal? With that being said, with with everything that's on the line, if you already had one life lost, and I'm not saying this because of my profession, I would say this for anyone, we need to make sure that everybody is getting a fair shake off of reason and evidence, not based off of, like, off of emotional pressure. No, and I hear you and on I that, think- Thomas. You know what? It's up, and that situation like sincerity or white guilt of course that's not up to you that's going to be up to me it's going to be up to me and and some of my friends to you know call out people to continue the conversation to say like no you know the the like when you when you do see some i don't know about doing it online that doesn't seem like you know that's going to you know bear any fruit that you know like the the conversations there but you know, whether it's out in the street or, or, or at work or face-to-face, being able to do something and keeping this going. It's going to be up to a, a lot of white America to, 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 make, to make that change. And, yeah, I could see what how you— What conversations are you guys having with each other? Yeah, well, you know, for me, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a pretty interesting thing right now. I have not been able to go out to any protest. I have, you know, somebody that, uh, you know, has an underlying condition— uh, in my house. So going out and being involved in, in anything where I'm within, you know, six feet of somebody, you know, that's a, that's a bad right. idea. So I have not been able to see any of my, I, I haven't seen people that I normally see or, or my friends or I'm not getting out to go anywhere. So it's mostly been, you know, staying at home. So I have not, I have not like to say, I would say I, I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything. I, I've thought a lot about it. I went and, you know, drove down and, you know, picked up my mother and, and was, it was a, some interesting conversations with my, my uncle who's in his sixties, my mom who is in her seventies, we're watching news, but, and, and talking about, you know, changes. And, you know, I would hear some of the things that they would say and, you know, challenging them some of them, but those are very small. Those are just a conversation within, uh, you know, just a family with just a couple of us and, you know, talking with my wife and, 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 and kids here, uh, there, there hasn't been, you know, anything like, okay, let's, you know, this is something or this is something you're going to do. You know, those are, that, that's right. something. I mean, and when I asked that, I wasn't necessarily saying you specifically, but what I am saying is, is that within white America or non-black America, what other conversations are taking place in, in those circles. No, it is Thomas. It is the- going to be me specifically. And, and what it's going to be is people like are that are ready to turn the page and are like, okay, you know, what are we going to do next? What kind of stats are we going to rename all of the, and then if I speak up, there's, you know, there's a lot of different code words and things. And I, and I think it is a political year. If I'm saying something like, um, well, let's, let's think about, you know, the history of each one of these situations like you know just with uh uncle ben's and and aunt jemima people are like well we're talking about you know pancake syrup and if i said something about it like online or i see people that try to you know say it's like well you know the history of this and people will, will come up and say things like well you're just a you're a democrat you know or you know and, and some of that's just like right. code word to like you know you know you're 
you're, you're, you're pandering or, you know, you're, right. you know, you're, you, a well, lot of it seems like racism, almost it's like a little coded racism, you know, a lot of times. But that's what you have to understand that what we as a people have been dealing with since we've gotten here. And the crazy thing is, and again, I'm just speaking for me, that to me is the most dangerous level of racism is the coded or clandestine racism. If you are a card-carrying member of the KKK and the only flag in your house are the stars and bars, then I'd rather deal with you than somebody else that has these underlying, mm. um, I don't want to say racist, but less than favorable, um, diverse outlooks on life. Because the subject, num- subject A, I know what I'm dealing with all the time. And I know how, I know how to maneuver with, around, over, whatever with subject A. Subject B, the, the, you know, the one that you really just don't know about and you know, Hey, I can be sitting over here having a great time with this particular individual. But as soon as I leave, I'm everything but a child of God. Or if that particular individual is in some level of influence or power that has the ability to have some sort of negative effect of, on my livelihood. And that's the crux of it all. So, when you start talking about the the portraits or, or imagery, you got to think, man. When when did you ever really see negative images of white people? You never really can say, you know, other than within the last ten years, besides uh, uh, President Obama, that you've had really positive images of black people outside of sports. Or entertainment. You don't see positive images of people in business, um, politics, uh, just in leadership roles in general. When you are in school, and this is what I talk about when, this is why I hate the word racist or the way that we use the word racist. White people are racist from the standpoint of when you were in school, everything that you learned about was positive for you. And if you are a white male, it's double that. Because everything that was good in the history books that they ever taught us, the hero was what? It was a white male. Well, you're right about so that. Been- we, we didn't have, uh, like, just in the last two weeks... I had never heard about the Tulsa race riots. Right. Uh, you didn't know about Black no. Wall Street. June, Juneteenth. June. I didn't know about Juneteenth uh, tomorrow. I didn't know about that. Right. Right. Only time in which you learned about anybody that was black was Martin Luther King in, in, in school. Or we were slaves. So there's the perpetual um, upper status, the perpetuating of the, of the superiority status that takes place early on within white culture. And to me, that's what makes you racist. That does not necessarily have a negative undertone to it. It's just, it is what it is. 
Now there wasn't enough, now, you know. You... Yeah, you know there there was Frederick Frederick Douglass or Harriet Tubman and, and Rosa Parks, but it wasn't enough. There was there wasn't enough. Uh, the, the history the history was was totally skewed. Like I'm just talking about the teachings right. of, uh, and this is me, you know, seventies and eighties. So, with all that being said, it's difficult for you, not you specifically, but white America, to sit back and say, when you look at Uncle Ben's or you look at an Aunt Your Mama um, um, advertisement and not be able to understand why that would be offensive. There was a restaurant before Denny's got big. And I remember this as a kid, at least where I grew up at. It was the same store, if you will, but before it was a Denny's, it was called Sambo's. And Sambo was a, de- a depiction of a young black male with these overly exaggerated red lips. And again, you got to go back to imagery and how imagery can have such a negative or positive effect on impressionable youth and that youth then grows up to be an adult. And if you're white, and this is the only thing in which you're seeing, and, and coming back full circle about law enforcement, this is where you start getting implicit biases. If you grew up in BSE, Northern Michigan, and for whatever reason, your family moves, whatever, you decide you want to get into law enforcement, and you get into an agency that has very little diversity. And in that agency, they are tasked with policing pockets of different, you know, racial demographics. But you've never had any interaction with these people. So you're only going to pick up what you see on TV, movies, whatever else, and the experiences that other people have had, negative or positive. And then once you get into that particular agency, that station, that locker room, because what you got to understand too is this, we're not firemen. I'm not here just to, you know, help. We're not EMTs. I'm not just here just to save your life. At some point in time, I may be here to lock you up. Not because I want to, but because of something you did. So if you're working in an environment where all you're seeing is the underbelly of that particular environment, you start to look at the people that you're now servicing as less than. You don't live there. You've never had any prior interaction. And the only interaction that you have with these people is that it's literally on, on their worst day. So you start to look at them as less than. You know, I've, I'm enjoying the conversation here, Thomas. Here's the here's the one thing I uh, that I don't know, and it's I just found this out last week doing the podcast that I went over an hour and five minutes, and it cut out, and I wasn't sure if that had to do with just how much memory I had or or something I did wrong, and I and I had uh, I had deleted the original copy, so it just went to static. Uh, so now we're at uh, an hour and fifteen minutes. I'm hoping that it's all there because this was very good content, uh, and uh, I'm I'm 100% sure there'll be an hour and five minutes. The last 10 minutes could could cut out. I hope it doesn't. Let's continue this uh, for everybody that's listening. Let's uh, let's let's uh, crank it back up next week. 
and just continue this conversation and and um, and, and go from there. How's that sound? It sounds great to me. Like I said, I'm I've never been one to want to change my. I just want to make you think because you are who you are. You're going to do whatever you want to do. But if we can just get to the point where we just start thinking and maybe begin to understand each other's plight, hopefully we can find some middle ground and move forward together instead of, you know, moving further apart. Well, I appreciate the time and the conversation. And like I said, I hope to do it again next week. Roger that good brother. You stay safe over there. Tell mom I said hi. You do the same. Take care. Talk to you. All right. There he is. Thomas Wines. Yeah, I was going to get to all that NBA stuff, and uh, I am out of time. And if you're listening to this, it did work. So thanks for listening. I will talk to you soon.